Galatians chapter 2, at verse 15 and reading to chapter 3, 14. And let's hear the word of God. As Paul writes it for us here, under the heading, first of all, justified by faith, and then the, the heading by faith or by works of the law, and the righteous shall live by faith. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I die to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Just to come away from that for kids. Do you hear all those references to Abraham there? It's in this chapter too, isn't it? Abraham's in the New Testament too, not just in the Old. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word to us, and to his name be the praise and the glory. Let's sing again to his praise, this time in the Scottish Psalter and Psalm 18. Psalm 18 in the Scottish Psalter. Again, at the beginning of the psalm, and Read, uh, singing uh, six verses, the first five stanzas of the psalm. Again, I'll read the first and last verses before we sing. Psalm 18. Thee will I love, O Lord, my strength, my fortress is the Lord, my rock, and he that doth me deliverance afford. Down to verse six. In my distress I called on God. Cry to my God did I. He from his temple heard my voice. To his ears came my cry. Verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 18 to God's praise. Oh. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of God, sorry, the people of old, received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. 
Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering of his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong in a weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Amen. And may God bless that further reading of his word to, to, to us, and to his name be the praise and the glory. Sing again in Scottish Psalter Psalm 26, and we'll sing verses 1 to 7. Scottish Psalter 26, verses 1 to 7. That's page 235. Five stanzas. I'll read the first and last stanzas. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I trusted also in the Lord. Slide therefore shall not I. So that I, with voice of thanksgiving, may publish and declare and tell of all thy mighty works that great and wondrous are. Verses 1 to 7, Psalm 26, to God's praise. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I trusted also in the Lord, my death Sit with such high shots. 
to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. We read verses 5 and 6 again and seek the Lord's help to uh, speak of these verses or of verse 6 particularly. Verse 5 uh, starts, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken he was commended as having pleased God and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Particularly these words, and without faith it is impossible to please him, that is to say, to please God. There's a wee bit of a breeze blowing outside here. That's what we would call it anyway. People from farther south might think it's a bit of a gale, but we'd say it's a bit of a breeze. Not a storm or anything like that, but instead of being in Schaubust in 2023, let's imagine that we're in Erfurt, Germany in 1505, and there was a thunderstorm going with lightning strikes and so on. And a young law student is hurrying home at the end of a night studying and uh, a lightning strike hits as but as close as Gordon is there to me. And he yells, Saint Anne, save me. Crying to Saint Anne because his father was a copper miner. And Saint Anne was the patron saint of miners. And then he thought, if I'm saved, I'll become a monk. I'll give up the law and become a monk. So he became a monk. For about 12, well, 12 years later, Martin Luther, for it was he, nailed his 95 theses to the wall or to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and the Protestant Reformation was born. And his great watchword was sola fide. Of course, they were all Latin scholars in those days, as well as speaking their own language. Sola fide, by faith alone. Also, sola scriptura, sola gratia, by scripture alone, by grace alone, but particularly for, for Luther, by faith alone. He realized that trying to please God by doing things, by stopping being a lawyer and becoming a monk and studying the scripture, was in itself not any good. Because it wasn't by works he'd be saved, it was by faith alone. The text, this is all by way of introduction, the text is, speaks of, it is impossible to please him, to please God. We could say that pleasing God is also, it also benefits ourselves because what's the chief end of man? It's Catechism 1, isn't it? Catechism 1 was the chief end of man. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we please him, we glorify him. God blesses those who please him, those he particularly loves, loves savingly, that is. I'm talking about earthly blessings, of course, but spiritual ones. 
eternal ones. By that token, if we don't please God, we can only expect to be forever banished from his presence. And that distinction can be seen here in this chapter, in verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother Cain did. The distinction between Cain and Abel. The sacrifices were equally good in themselves. It was the heart of the giver, or the heart of the sacrificer, that was different. And that's why God had respect to uh, Abel's sacrifice, but not to Cain's. Cain's wasn't mixed with faith, so therefore it was a waste of time and effort. And if we come to God in any way without believing in him, but just paying lip service and doing the things by rote and doing the things we were taught to do because it's the thing that we do, it's a tradition, then that is not, that is not worshipping God. That's an insult to God. Like the Pharisee with his tithes of mint and cumin. It wasn't mixed with faith, therefore it was a problem. So I want to speak on this verse mainly uh, in, under three headings. Uh, which consists of a definition, an argument, and an application. The definition is, first of all, what is faith? What is faith? I'm going to speak on this under four headings. This is all going to be quite short headings, hopefully. I'll then try to advance an argument. That is, without faith it's impossible to be saved. And four headings there. And then finally a question and application for all of us. Have you, have I, have each of us, Got that faith which alone pleases God. And four subheadings of that as well. So, what is faith? The necessity of faith and whether we do have faith. What, so, what if we have faith and what if we don't have faith? Faith, what is it? Well, Catechism 86, and go back to the Catechism because go back to basics. And it's such a, it's, it's such a succinct and well thought out answer. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. But I'm not just going to leave it there because that's what someone else has said. I'm going to try to say something more about it. We're talking about saving faith, of course. There's many other kinds of faith. It's historical faith, like Agrippa in the Acts of the Apostles. Or, uh, or in James 2.19, you believe that God is, is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. There's temporal, temporary faith. The parable of a sower. No root, for example. Just briefly having faith and then not having faith. Because you don't really have a saving faith. And there's 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. So saving faith we're talking about. And that has three elements. I'm going to suggest knowledge. Then assent or, uh, or agreement. Or, or you could call that belief. And thirdly, resting or, or leaning. Or relying or depending on it. That is trust. So knowledge. You can't properly believe what you don't know. You have to know, we have to have a basis of knowledge to be able to believe in something. You must know that God is, it says here. You must know whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Like when Paul spoke in Athens about those, the unknown God. Well, you, he said you ignorantly worship him. I'm going to tell you who he is, really. There is an unknown God. But I know him, and I'm going to explain who he is. Well, if we have an unknown God, we can't worship him properly. We need to know who he is, first of all. That's the first step. And Paul again, how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? We've got to know the Bible and its doctrines, at least to some extent. We've got to know what there is out there to believe. So we're just saying, I believe what the church believes. Oh, what does the church believe? Oh, well, the church believes just the same as what I believe. So that's not defining anything. It's just going around in circles. An example of a wrong approach would be if I stood up in here and just said, believe, believe, believe. 
That's not any help, is it? Believe what? What are you supposed to believe? You need to know what you what you need to believe. Now, if you're biblically literate people, which I think you probably all are, you'll know what it is you need to believe. But maybe you haven't believed yet. So, knowledge. You know what there is to believe, first of all. Do we know what there is to believe? Well, let's say we've, we've got the first hurdle out of the way, knowledge. We know what it is. But what about belief or assent? Because we can know and not believe. We know things that they wouldn't lead to faith. We have to agree that the Bible is the truth of God, of the living God. Not just know what's in the pages, but we have to believe that it's true. Everything on that page is true because it's God's word. I could say that. Can you say that? We need to be able to say that if we're going to talk about believing. Because we might know all about Rumpelstiltskin and Br'er Rabbit and people like that, or creatures like that, whatever. But we know they're not true. It's just stories. So we know, but we don't believe. But, we, but if we do believe, then we have something to go forward with. We need to believe the Bible is inspired, that it's true. We need to treat it reverently. And we see what happens when people don't take the Word of God seriously. When churches don't take the church the Word of God seriously, they say, well, actually that was fine for the time, but we've got we've come on since then. And there's huge, there's huge ramifications from that at the moment in various churches. And let's not think that our church is immune from everything as well. Let's not think that. We can point to the Anglicans or anybody else, but any church is subject to error and any people are subject to error. So we have to stand by the truth and depend on it and not move away from it. I've used the words assent and agree earlier. But I'm saying we need to have a, a willing, voluntary, deliberate, considered assent to the truth of the gospel before we can talk about faith. If we don't have that, we're not gonna, we haven't hit the second hurdle. We've got to get the knowledge right. We've got to get the belief right. But there's also third and third place, trust. Because even if we have knowledge and belief, that in itself isn't enough. Because knowledge can be head knowledge. We can know, like many of us probably did as children, have head knowledge, knew a lot of things about the Bible about the Bible, that's important, or about God, but not know God. Belief might be general. It might not be personal. Like, for example, quite generally in the church, when parents are asked to take vows for baptism, they're not necessarily asked to profess faith, saving faith. They're asked to assent to the doctrines that the church believes, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And people, some people can say that. Yes, Jesus Christ is the only Savior. I'm not saying he's my Savior, but he's the only Savior. That's not the same as coming to the Lord's table and saying he is my Savior and I'm here to profess his name. So there's different kinds of, 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 faith, of belief. Now, in the introduction, I referred to trust as being resting or leaning or relying or depending uh, the old, some of the old theologians used to say that faith was a trust, was a recumbency on the truth, like lying down on the truth, and relying on that as supporting one. So it's not enough to know that Jesus Christ is a savior, or believing that he can save. We each need to know and believe, but also trust him to be our own personal savior. And I say that in the sense that God is Jesus is personal to each of us. Not in the sense that some say, my own personal Jesus, as if, well, I'm going to make him a Jesus, and he's the Jesus I want him to be. Many, many years ago, I went to the summer solstice at Chalonish, not to worship, but to hand out soup and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, I met one guy, Californian, and Trying to, trying to witness to him. And I, every time I mentioned Christ, I said, oh yeah, yeah, the Christ spirit. Yeah, he's here in the stones. No, that wasn't the Christ spirit. There's no such thing as the Christ spirit. It's Jesus Christ of the gospel. It's Jesus Christ 
the Lord's Christ. So put another way, it's not sufficient to believe in the atonement, but we need to believe, we need to hold that belief as a tenet of our own faith and believe in him as the one who atones for me. I can only believe for myself. I can't believe for anyone else. And any other believer here will say the same. They can believe for themselves. Can't believe for their children, for their parents, for their spouse, whatever. Believe for yourself. A practical example. We can know that a life belt is... We know what it is. We know it's good. We know it's, it's, it's there. And we, we can see it floating. And we, see it, we know it's a really good... It's a really good device for saving one from the ocean. But you need to put it around you. You need to get inside it for it to do you any good. You need to put it on. You need to put on Christ. Imagine if there's a burning building and there's a child in an upper floor. And there's a man down below saying, John, I'll save you from the burning building. Seeing the man there, that's the knowledge. I know he's there. And it's my dad, so I believe he'll save me. I believe he'll catch me. He won't drop me. But actually, the only way you show you real trust is by jumping. You've got to jump. And you're not blindly jumping. There's no such thing as a blind step of faith as Dawkins and others would have us believe. We don't jump blindly. We jump with knowledge. We jump into the known because God has told us. He's spoken to us. Here it is. It's right here for us. We don't need to guess. We don't need to wonder, is Jesus really the Savior? He says that he is. And what did we say to the kids earlier? Faith. Taking God at his word, accepting what he says is true. Now that's an, that's an essential. So the, the, the third thing there I said was the essence, the, the trust. Actually jumping and, and landing in the arms, is that's the outcome. But I said there were four headings under this point, and there is. The fourth one is humility. It all needs to be done in Humility. Our, our, our knowledge, our belief, our trust, we need to humbly exercise it. Um, again, the old theologians, I think Spurgeon amongst them, but certainly I think before him, they used to speak about faith being a kneeling or stooping grace. If you, hum- you have to be humble, you have to bow down, you have to stoop, because that's the attitude of praise to God an attitude and posture of humility but if we don't aren't prepared to stoop then how are we going to exercise faith we can only exercise faith humbly that's the argument that Spurgeon and others put forward Spurgeon's I should say Christ is a door big enough for the worst sinner to enter but so low a door that all who enter must bow down or stoop to do so and he said with this faith is humility and with this humility True humility, there is faith. So that's the first heading, what is faith? I'm trying to demonstrate it consists of three elements, knowledge, belief, and trust, all to be exercised with humility. Secondly, why it's uh, true that we, without faith, we can't be saved. Again, there's four strands to this argument. There's no scriptural example, first of all. Move along a bit faster now, perhaps. No scriptural example. Look at Hebrews 11, for example, there's 16 people named, a couple of people not named, because we don't know their names from Scripture as far as I know. Moses' parents, I think, are never named, but they're mentioned here. 16 people are catalogued, heroes of the faith. And there's many more, because this time would fail me to tell you about all the others. And there were other Bible characters who didn't have faith, like Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel. Ahab, another of the very wicked kings, believed in a trembling sort of fashion. Believed not sincerely. Repented not sincerely. Like, for example, Saul said he didn't really want to kill David, but he kept on throwing javelins at him, trying to get rid of him. These were not authentic people of faith. 
Esau showed remorse, wasn't repentance. Judas Iscariot, what did he do? He went out and killed himself. He didn't even look for any forgiveness from Christ. But he went with no hope and killed himself. Whereas Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, repented, came in, uh, in repentance and humility to Jesus and was forgiven and, and flourished. So there's no scriptural example of, of anyone who, who uh, has, had, has been saved without faith. And the Bible tells us that works cannot save. Martin Luther reminds us of that. Paul reminds us of that. We read, like when we read in Galatians, Paul's writing there. Also in, in Romans and many other places in the New Testament. It's works cannot save. Good works are not useless. James makes that very clear to us. Faith without works is dead, we're told. But the, the deeds must not be, uh, must only be an evidence of faith, not a grounds for faith, not a grounds for salvation. Just an evidence of, of having faith. I would, um, we could look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9 there, um, which I think I will read briefly. Very well known verses, Ephesians 2 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10 says, For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the good works are supposed to be there following on from faith not replacing it not precursor to faith but only as a demonstration of faith there's a danger of good works is not the natural person naturally we want to think this we want to think the best of ourselves we want to let ourselves off the hook we want to think before, if we, before we have saving faith, we might think it's a substitute for faith. We may have heard that it's not, but we think immediate really could be still. It's amazing how many people do think that for a long, long time after they've heard the truth, first of all. But it's not so. We must get faith first, and only then prove our faith by our works. Of course, none of that is an excuse for not doing works. And the third heading in the second part is, without faith, we have no union with Christ. Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And again, I'm going to turn to the Catechism, and Catechism 30, which is, um, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us, and thereby uniting us to Christ and our effectual calling. That's where the union of Christ comes in. We would not have any union with Christ. And friend, if, you're not, if you don't have faith in Christ, you have no union with Christ at the moment. But that's available to you right now. Jesus Christ is here in his word. He's being preached. He's being proclaimed. He's here. There are many people you could speak with in this building, I'm sure, who would tell you that? And there's other scriptural proofs for that. John 15, 5. I am the vine, this is Jesus speaking, you are the branches, he that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That is to all of us. Without him we can do nothing. We're wasting our time unless we have Christ with us. Why is that essential? Why is that important? It's more than important. It's vital. It's essential. Because union with Christ is indispensable for life. For life, for spiritual life. Without it, we can't be saved. Because we must praise all our prayers in Jesus' name. It's for his sake. All must be for his sake. We haven't earned anything, nor can we, nor will we. He's done it all. 
we have to have a union. And the union means there must be a connection. I'll give you an example. Uh, sorry, beg your pardon, a little illustration. Niagara Falls, Niagara River above the falls. Two men are flowing downstream in the, in, in the torrent. One of them grabs onto a, a, a passing tree trunk log and holds onto that. The other one throws, holds onto a rope that's been thrown out from the shore with strong people on the other end of it. And who do you think is saved? Who do you think goes over the falls and who do you think doesn't? Well, no prizes for guessing. The guy who's holding onto the log goes over the falls because he's holding onto his works. He's holding onto something that's not, sta- that's not stable, not stationary, not an anchor. Whereas the man who holds on to the rope, well, the rope, the rope takes him to, to, to the shore, doesn't it? The rope pulls him in. We can see that the rope is like faith. That's what we hold on to to get to Jesus. Though really it's his hands that put our hands around it. But we still need to hold on to the rope because that is the faith that we need to have. We need to exercise. And it's Jesus Christ that pulls us to safety. And lastly, in this heading, trying to establish a faith is necessary to salvation. It's impossible to persevere in the holiness of the faith or in the Christian life without faith. Um, it's easy enough when there's no challenge, but that's not really perseverance. It takes a lot to stand against persecution, and that is becoming more and more apparent in our nation and in many nations of the world. Um, many places where there are Christians and they are under attack, and let's not think that our country is any different. It's certainly going in that direction at the moment. So. We need to, to, to persevere, and we're only going to persevere if we have this um, faith. Because without faith, how can we persevere? How would we stand? What basis would we have to stand? We need to have faith, even if it's like a mustard seed, even if it's tiny, as long as it's faith. It's the object of faith that's important, as long as the object is Christ. People can have faith in anything, and that's a waste of time for salvation. Jesus Christ is the only one. So, and that's the second point. I was trying to show why salvation is impossible without faith. I've said no one in the Bible was saved without faith. Works can't themselves save. We need faith in order to have union or communion even with Christ. And we need perseverance in the faith to be saved. I hope that shows in some way, the faith is necessary and why it's necessary. Finally, the all-important question, have we got that faith that pleases God? This is by way of application. Have we got that faith that alone pleases God? Do we have faith? Do we believe? First of all, do we believe? You got that first hurdle out of the way? Remember that first hurdle? Belief? Then assent? Do we Sorry, knowledge is the first one, isn't it? Beg your pardon. Do we have the knowledge? Do we have the belief? Do we have the trust? Do we have faith? Do we believe in the Lord Jesus with all our heart? It's not magical. It's not airy-fairy. It's not like someone saying, oh, I wish I had your faith. You don't have to think of it that way. It's not to wish you had the faith. We base the faith on the word of God. It's firm. It's sure. We believe it. We can have faith in it. No reason not to. But we can't just say, I'm going to do it. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will enable us. So it'll overcome our natural unbelief. Because we have a natural unbelief. We want to believe in ourselves. We want to believe that we're good enough. But we're not. No one is. Because if we have faith, we have to renounce our own righteousness. We have to say, I'm not enough. And that's not the way of the world, is it? You hear it all the time. People bigging themselves up. Not just big stars, but everybody does it. You hear it all the time. People on social media and bigging themselves up, making that there's something special. But we need to have recognition that we in ourselves can never earn uh, God's love. 
We can never earn it because it's, it's, it's a free gift. It's not set up that we can earn it. It's that it's, it's bestowed upon him freely. If we're trusting in works, then we're not going to trust in, 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 in Jesus. We're, we're going to say, in fact, that Jesus' death was not necessary for us. How blasphemous would that be? How awful would that be to think that, that way? We have to be thinking along the, the lines of John the Baptist who said, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become more important in my eyes and I must become less important in my own eyes. We must have nothing of ourselves. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Faith leads inevitably, invariably, to a very high and great esteem for our Lord and Saviour. Do we love him? Do we seek to serve him? Do we hate it when we hear his name used wrongly? Do we love people for Jesus' sake? Because they're Jesus' people. It can be difficult sometimes, but so are we difficult to love. For those people, just as difficult, maybe more. That's a better way to look at it, is I'm more difficult than they are. Is his name higher than any other for us? Is he our Lord? Is he, is he the one we would call wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace? The mighty, almighty God? Is he Jehovah said, said can you, God our righteousness, as Robert Murray McChain famously wrote? If these things are true of you, then it sounds like you might have faith. If they're not true of you, I would think you need to think very carefully about whether what faith is and whether you have it and seek it. Seek it now. Don't leave it till another day, another time. There might not be another day. There might not be another time. We don't, none of us know these things. And if we have true faith, and this is what we should do, we should throw true obedience. Often we fail. Often we fail. But we should desire to seek that new obedience and show it. God doesn't stint in his blessings to us despite our unworthiness. So I'm, I'm just going to have to stop here by closing with, uh, lastly, what's the answer to this part of the question, this part of the sermon? Have you got that faith? Only each of us can answer for ourselves. And if the answer is we don't know, then that's not a good place to be. We need to go on, seek it, seek the truth, seek God's blessing, seek his salvation. We go and grant that none of us leave here today without that faith. That faith that alone can please God. That faith that does please God. And that faith that will never be taken away from us. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father in heaven, we have the great benefit and blessing of your word as so clearly in front of us. Oh, forgive us for how weakly and hopelessly we use it. We pray, O oh Lord, that you might be pleased to bless your word to our souls, to our understandings, and that we might all trust upon you and dwell in you and live the life of faith for you and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. If we could turn back to uh, sing psalms and Psalm 118 at the beginning of the psalm. Um, and Gordon, I think you just Verses 1 to 6 instead, okay? Uh, Psalm 18, just the first three stanzas. Oh, thank the Lord for his good, his steadfast love endures always. Now let the house of Israel say,
His love will last through endless days. Down to verse 5 and 6. I cried in anguish to the Lord. He answered me and set me free. The Lord is with me. I'll not fear. What harm can people do to me? These verses to God's praise. Oh, thank the Lord, oh, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.